Good morning, Church Fana. Morena. Thank you to Bill and the team for leading us uh, in communion. Such a special time to just to stop, slow down, and reflect on where things are at with us and God. Honoring these traditions are important, and it's great to be part of that again today. Today I want to share for you, oh, first of all, my name is Gary Taylor. I think you all know that. If you don't, kia ora, I'm Gary, uh, one of the elders here. And it's a treat to be sharing with you today. So I'm thankful that Colin, as we speak, I think he's driving all the way back up. I'd rather be preaching or sharing than driving all the way from Invercargill, personally. Today I'm going to share a little bit about an unfamiliar figure out of the Old Testament uh, narrative. The biblical history is incredibly rich, and I find often I tend to dwell in the, on, on what I call the new part of the Bible, the New Testament. Today I'm going to share a little bit from the Old Testament narrative. This particular book is written in the first-person memoir, or as a first-person memoir. You'll find it just after the book of Ezra and just before the book of Esther. It's written by a man who is convicted by God to repair something. The word repair indeed is mentioned 35 times, not that I counted, in this particular book. There's 13 chapters in the book, and this gentleman was using things that he had in his hands, and often these things were broken things, things that were damaged, things that were hurt and, and injured and broken and burned. There's a lesson in that. We don't always get the bright, shiny things to fix things. He was engaging people that were mostly unskilled, or as I would like to say, mostly unskilled in the work that God called him and them to do. They were very skilled in other areas. He was a prayerful man. He understood the value of teamwork, community, relationships. He was a prophet. Some call him a project manager. And we're narrowing it down a little bit further. He was born in the 5th century before Christ. He was a cupbearer for the Persian king, Artaxerxes. He was also appointed governor of Judah, which is kind of in the southern provinces of Israel. He was a leader, a person of influence. Someone much like you and I. We all have influence, don't we? He was neither a prophet, sorry, neither a politician or a priest, much like Donald Trump. <laughs> However, he was moved and called by God to repair a wall and indeed a people. Some spiritual repair and physical repair was needed. And his name was Nehemiah, the man behind the building of the wall around Jerusalem. In fact, with the help of many, and we're going to talk a bit about the leadership themes today, he managed to achieve this in 52 days. In Hebrew, his name is Yahweh Comforts. Yahweh Comforts. And this is the final chapter in the historical narrative of the Hebrew Bible. Some scholars suggest we should read the book of Nehemiah as one contiguous book with Ezra, the preceding book. And today I'm certainly not going to try and cover both these books. <laughs> we don't have enough time. I'm going to give you a little bit of a snapshot out of the different 13 chapters in this book. 
But the key message for me today, if I can kind of anchor this early on, is to understand the role that Nehemiah played, the big role in Jerusalem's restoration, both the physical and the spiritual, and helping redirect the people to the Lord. They'd kind of lost their way. If you look at that picture there, the little square in the middle, kind of the wandering around in the wilderness took some time, didn't it? And this story is about redirecting them. So those 13 chapters, if we can have those up. And when I, when I go through these and when I went through these, indeed, this is the makings of a great movie. Listen to this. There's prayer in chapter 1, and I'm going to read the entire prayer for you soon. There's travel where he heads off to the, the city of Jerusalem. There's building. There's opposition in chapter 4. In other words, there's some bad guys. Uh, we're going to hear a little bit about them. There's helping the poor in chapter 5. Chapter 6 and 7, there's more opposition. There's success where they complete the job of restoring the wall. Chapter 8, there's a reading of the Torah. So there's exciting reading of the rich law of Moses. Chapter 9 and 10, there's confession, agreement, promises. Later that we're going to hear were broken. Chapter 11, new residents coming in to Jerusalem. There's a dedication of the wall with great music and celebration. And... We see in chapter 13, someone must have mucked up because reforms were required. All the makings of a great movie, right? <laughs> so Nehemiah's story, if we can go to the next slide, please. As I read, I would like to share a little bit about that, that key relationship that Nehemiah... See you later. The key relationship that Nehemiah had with God, because this is for me where things start... As a Christian man, and I encourage and challenge each of you as, as men and women of God, it starts with our relationship with Him, with God, our Heavenly Father. We shared the elements earlier as a remembrance of the work done on the cross, and we honor Him in our daily lives through an expression of how we live. It starts with relationship with God, right? So, by the way, just a quick disclaimer, uh, today is not about or not meant to create a bit of momentum around church building projects. <laughs> this, is, this is a disclaimer, so I'm not going that way for this message today. I think probably Johan will help us with his uh, demolitions in that sense, building the momentum. Uh, it is about the ongoing relationship with God and the relationship that Nehemiah had with God before he took his everyday ordinary life and he made things happen. Before Nehemiah, or because Nehemiah was in relationship with God, he heard from God. I'll repeat that. Because Nehemiah was in relationship with God, he heard from God. This is important. We can get distracted by other things, things that kind of put a strain on our relationships. The most important being that with God. Keep asking yourself, as I shared today, where is your relationship with God? Because, folks, God is a God who speaks, and we need to listen. It's very hard to listen when we are in relationship with other things, other distractions. For Malcolm and Wendy, uh, last week we were sharing a bit about the journey, and I think they left on Wednesday this week, off to Chiang Mai. They are on a mission to equip the saints for works of service. So they're clearly hearing God is calling them for an equipping role, right? For the nation's course. 
For myself, for the last 15 years, coming up in August, I've been working with at-risk kids at Vision College and a myriad of other students coming to kind of make a difference in their lives through tertiary study. 15 years of sowing, of sowing. Obediently listening to God in that call. So what was Nehemiah hearing from God? Where was the need and what was his response? We're going to share a bit about that today. Those two questions I want you to keep in the back of your mind, please. So if you'd like to open your Bibles, if you haven't yet already, to the book of Nehemiah. And I'll read for us, picking it up from Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2. Hanani, one of my brothers, Nehemiah's brothers, came from Judah and with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So what was Nehemiah hearing? He was hearing about great distress, the trouble and the disgrace of his people. And we're soon going to learn about his response. Just a, a quick side, side by, as Colin calls it. In order to hear, we need to inquire, we need to seek and he was seeking, how was it going with his people? Remember, these are where his forebears were from, from Jerusalem. And it tells us a bit about the heart of Nehemiah when he breaks down and he begins to mourn and fast and pray. This challenges me, when last did I mourn, fast and pray? I'm pretty good with probably the first and the last. I don't think I'm too good with the fasting part. The scriptures carry on and say, Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, and this is a great prayer. As I share this prayer, I want you to kind of tune in your antennas to the worship part. There's a worship part. To the repentance part as well. It's quite a long prayer, but join me as I, as I share this with you. So Nehemiah says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear. The prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. So a bit of intercessory prayer here. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. This happened. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon... I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant 
and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So here's a prayer of a man who's convicted. And I believe as he's praying, God is also speaking to him. There's some discernment in this prayer. It says he was a cupbearer for the king. And now we're going to share a little bit out of chapter 2, how he now approaches the king. So moving on to chapter 2, and we're not going to read the whole book. So bear with me, we're nearing the end of the readings. Chapter 2, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, Nehemiah indeed was the cupbearer, so I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in the presence of the king before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. So this is, if you kind of picture this playing out, you kind of got the boss, the king, asking the cupbearer a question. It's kind of a business conversation more than a pastoral one, but it also shows a bit of a pastoral side of the king. Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look so sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So he shares a bit of what the burden is of his heart. And the king said to me, what is it you want? Isn't this great? You've got a very influential king already starting to ask the question, what would you want? Before he goes to the king and asks him, God's already opening a door towards resources. Then I prayed to God of heaven, and I answered the king. I love this. This must have been a silent prayer. Actually, this book is filled with prayer, and most of the prayers would have been loud, spoken prayers. This is a quiet prayer. One of those he quietly fires off. How many of us pray before we speak to our people of influence around us? So he prays before he answers. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. And so the story carries on. The king not only hears the, the heart, he resources Nehemiah. He asks uh, initially what he would like, and he resources. In those days, papers were important. Who knew? Reading the Old Testament reveals much. Papers are important to pave the way on a journey, papers to, to give credibility to someone traveling. And Nehemiah is blessed with many papers, papers that give him access to wood, papers that give him access to areas and regions. And I think it's a great example today of how we can bless one another, not necessarily with papers always but certainly with prayers. And so Nehemiah responds. He's listening from God, and he kicks into action. He's a man of action. We're going to speak about leadership later on. Leadership is about making things happen also. So he heads to Jerusalem with all of these papers and this conviction to repair and restore things. just want to back up for a while and, and give you a bit more context the nation of Judah was taken into captivity. 
by Babylon somewhere around 587 B.C. Fifty years later, which makes it about 537 B.C., Cyrus sent some of the people back to rebuild the wall, uh, rebuild the temple first, and then later the wall. Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple, followed by Ezra, who brought the word, the Torah, into the temple. And now we are sharing Nehemiah's part in actually restoring the wall. And I was kind of reflecting on this. I think today, actually, I was driving home on Friday after work. I took a route that I don't normally take, and I ended up going through the new suburb, uh, one of the new suburbs in this area. And the first thing I noticed were the walls. The walls seemed to go up first. In this case, the walls went up last. The temple went up first. Earlier in the Old Testament, we read of how the significance of establishing a holy space was deeply understood. Moses set aside a tent of meeting or a tent of prayer. I love that. One of the first things they do as they're moving around. Where will the tent of meeting go? Where will the tent of prayer be positioned? In today's setting, we would build the walls first, as I mentioned. So back to the story. We've covered one and two very briefly. Then we look at the building of the wall. So he's arrived in Jerusalem. And the word says that he spends about three days, I would believe, hanging out with his friends. This is where he comes from, remember. Just getting the lay of the land. And then it says in chapter 3, he actually explores the wall. He inspects the wall. Those of you who kind of are building managers or quantity surveyors or engineers, you'll understand the scope of works is important. This is what he does. He spends a whole evening, it says, inspecting the wall. Indeed, it was so broken in some parts, it says that his donkey couldn't get over the blocks and the brokenness. So that's in chapter 3. Four, the baddies appear. There's opposition. Sanballat and Tobiah make an appearance. These are God's enemies, and they are also enemies to the people of Israel. But God is on his side. He knows this. In chapter 5, Nehemiah is helping the poor in different ways, restoring in some ways what the poor, uh, or stopping the poor being ripped off, as I call it. In chapter 6, we have success, the building of the wall, the completion of the wall in 52 days. This is pretty impressive. Just a link back to chapter 3. The builders of the wall, I mentioned before, taking brokenness and, and things that didn't quite fit. Nehemiah is a great story of a man who took people that were skilled to work that was requiring a different skill. So if you read chapter 3, it's a great account of using people like perfume makers, people that worked with fine jewelry to actually build a wall. And, and the conviction of Nehemiah was strong to influence those people, not to say, how would it look today? But I'm an expert at making fine things. How would you expect me to put these big blocks and chunks together? This is the people that built the wall. Perfume makers and so forth. The other interesting thing is the people built where they were at. And in other words, in the proximity of the area around them. They built right there where they lived. We then see in chapter 7, the exiles returning. This is afterwards, after the wall's been restored. Chapter 8, 
is a great account of Ezra reading from the Torah in the temple. Chapter 9 and 10, there's lots of confessions of their sins. The Israelites on their knees, praying, fasting, worshipping. Real spiritual restoration happening. This must have brought Nehemiah much joy because this was the key purpose of what he was doing. The wall was kind of a journey to get the key message across. There was agreement by the people and a promise that we will not neglect the house of the Lord. This is chapter or verse 30 from chapter 10. We will not neglect the house of the Lord. Chapter 11, casting of lots, one of every ten being invited into the holy city of Jerusalem. Chapter 12, the dedication of the wall, lots of music and thanksgiving. And moving into chapter 13, after Nehemiah left, he actually did come back to see how things were going. See if everything was back on track. And verse 7 says, he learned about the evil things being done. So he needed to establish some reforms, some corrections. So there's your quick snapshot of the book of Nehemiah. Some leadership themes that are coming through. And I've got kind of this wee, yeah, what do you call that, an octagon or all sorts of wee little boxes. I'm going to share just briefly some of the themes that are coming through here that we can all learn from, from this portion of Scripture. These are themes that apply to us whether we're leaders or not. Acknowledging God, the central theme. Nehemiah in 2.18 was, was known to say, I also told them about the gracious hand of God upon me. Nehemiah 8.1-12 talks of Ezra, who is bringing the Torah back into the key story, into the temple. People were rising to their feet and listening to him, and the Levites explained what the law meant. So perhaps the law wasn't that easy to understand. The Levites were there to help them understand. But this is an acknowledgement of God. And indeed, from the very first chapter, we heard in the prayer how Nehemiah acknowledged God, pleaded and cried in his prayer to God. Prayerfulness is another theme. Worshipping, prayer and fasting we've heard of happening. And it must be part of who we are as leaders, as followers of God, of Jesus. Every part of Nehemiah's reform was accompanied by prayer. Leaders have a big picture, a vision. Without a vision, the word says, we wander aimlessly. So when he arrived, we've mentioned he did this nightly kind of inspection, investigation of the wall. He surveyed to get a scope of work before he could, he could bring his leadership and his influence over the people. Communication is a key fundamental uh, theme and, and skill we need as people of God, and also perseverance. These are the keys that help Nehemiah mold the people of God. The word says in Romans 12 too, do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Nehemiah was trying to let the people see the distinction that they had in that time and in that place. They did not need to conform. His language was declarative. This is also part of communication. What do I mean by language that is declarative? It is language with purpose. Nehemiah 2.17, he talks about, come, let us rebuild the wall. Not should we rebuild the wall 
or I think it's time to rebuild the wall. Let us, declarative language. In verse 20, he says, the God of heaven will give us success. He will. There was no doubt in Nehemiah's mind whether this was going to work or not. And remember, he's dealing with Jews, priests, nobles, and officials. And so this is a man who was very open to learning, listening, and communicating, but a man of conviction. Nehemiah 4.4, he says, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. So he's turning to God and not to kind of send out these missions of, of, of soldiers to try and take out the enemy or the opposition. He pleads with God, turn their insults back on their heads. There's real community happening. So Nehemiah was rebuilding a wall around the city, but also rebuilding a people to a point where they could stand on their own as an independent nation following God's lead. He made things happen, or together they made things happen. 52 days to repair the wall. He also instituted social reforms, and we know that he brought back the key message of the Sabbath, which again they broke later on, and he had to restore in his reforms. Following up, I love this one because it shows a heart and a care, a love for the people that he's leading. He returned and he instituted the reforms. Actually, I had to chuckle in, in chapter 13, 25 in Nehemiah. So chapter 13, 25, it says he beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. And I kind of thought I'd be safe. I'm down to the canvas, so I probably wouldn't have had much hair for him to pull out. I've been reflecting on, on the portion of Scripture from Ephesians 4.15 that says we should be speaking the truth in love. I didn't read there about beating people and men and pulling out their hair. But it shows the conviction of the man, the real conviction. He kept the real thing the real thing, concerned about the spiritual health and the welfare of the Jewish people. And he brought the Torah in. They stood and they read. Ezra read the Torah, the book of the law of Moses, as part of that repair. Indeed, seven chapters of the 13 are dedicated to telling about the social and the religious reforms. What a lovely book. If you haven't read it, I strongly encourage you to read it. Go back into those Old Testament narratives. So back to those two questions I mentioned earlier. What are you hearing from God? What was Nehemiah hearing? Can we have the next? Yeah, there we go. Let's change that now to what are you hearing from God? And what is your response? For me, I, I tend to sometimes get busy. And if I get busy, perhaps I pray less. Perhaps I engage in, I, I become distracted. Friends, we need to slow down. We need to keep the real thing the real thing. We need to be on our knees in prayer and sometimes fasting together as well. Keeping the real work, as I call it, the real work. In order to have a harvest, we need workers, right? We are the workers. Look around. We're it. So please don't delay in doing the work. The work is good work. The book of Ephesians 2.10 talks about God has got good works for us to do, prepared for us a long time ago. 
And building relationships takes time. And look out for the distractions. Be directed by the Holy Spirit for your guidance, your counsel. And if some of the message is kind of not making sense today, there's good news. You've got the Holy Spirit. I'm sure the Holy Spirit will make sense of it for you. If it's, if it's more about you, if your language has changed, and it's more about me, myself, and I, I challenge you to go back and read the story. Answer the questions truthfully. What are you hearing from God, and how are you responding? The Word of God says in John 3, 30, He must become greater, and I must become less. That keeps the context. I'd like to invite the worship team just to come forward again, please. And we're going to sing that song, My Heart is Yours, again. And as you contemplate, as you take time to listen to God, the Word also says and challenges us to encourage one another, right? To spur one another on. There's two portions of Scripture here. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says, Therefore encourage one another. It's an explicit command. Hebrews 3.13 says, Exhort one another every day. Every day it says, spur one another on. So how about we start now? Look to your neighbor and say, you're awesome. You're an awesome person of God. Spur one another on. There we go. You're awesome. You're awesome, Dave. You haven't got a neighbor. So we encourage one another for the work, right? I just want to close by saying we can grow cold to the promises we've made to God. So are you growing cold to those promises you've made to God? And if we do, we need to come back to Him. Seek repentance. The Old Testament is great examples of repenting. And we recultivate that relationship with Him. Thank you. I'll hand you back to Jill.